Welcome to an Employment Law Show. Back at it. You bet. Chris Justice is here, courtesy Samfiru to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, ready to handle all of your questions on the uh, on the show today. So uh, so bring it on. Yeah, emails as well, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website that is always free, always anonymous, helpful, full of uh, opportunities for you to learn more about employment law. That would be pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, wrapped up into that. Severance pay calculator, 2 million people plus have used it and had their eyes uh, opened as to what severance possibilities should be, what you are rightfully owed. So feel free anytime, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. The show today, everything you need to know about forced resignations, that is coming up and your phone calls in just a, a wee bit. But we always have a couple uh, stories on the go, the cases of the day. Uh, Chris, what's going on, big fellow? What do you got for us? Yeah, hi. Good morning. Uh, thanks for uh, having me on as always. Uh, as you mentioned, I like to start off these things with uh, the week that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, some highlights, I guess, both in the news and in my own personal practice. And as far as the news is concerned, I'm just going to start with the freshy situation that I'm sure yeah. a lot of people know about by now. Uh, the uh, the food chain, the healthy fast food chain with some locations in Ontario and I think British Columbia as well, but also across North America. Uh, they've now introduced this virtual cashier uh, position uh, under the name of Percy. So I guess essentially when you go to the cashier in a given freshie store, you are met with a real human being, but that person's not necessarily located in Canada. And in Freshie's case, uh, they've got employees working out of Nicaragua um, who are sort of in this virtual cashier position and, and helping out people that may actually be making purchases in Canada. Um, albeit remotely from Nicaragua. So, yeah, this story's got a lot of uh, traction in the news. There's some attention definitely being paid towards it as far as the minimum wage, for example, Mm. between a a person living in Nicaragua versus someone living in Ontario. We know that the minimum wage in Ontario as of this year is $15 an hour, but in Nicaragua it's about just under $4 US. Um, So, definitely come under some flack, some criticism, and I know a lot of people are wondering, first of all, whether Freshie can even outsource the work to other countries and and whether this kind of thing is legal to begin with. Um, And contrary to a lot of people's beliefs, uh, on the face of it, uh, Freshie's employment outsourcing is legal. Uh, In Ontario, uh, for example, when a company outsources its work to uh, those in other countries, the company, and I guess Freshie in this case, is typically obligated to adhere to the employment laws of the country uh, in which the outsourced worker is actually performing their duties. So this may be an example of the law not necessarily catching up with technology fully yet. uh, And there definitely could be some changes down the road in terms of how the laws, at least in this province or country, deal with some of that overlap when it comes to technology and the law itself. Uh, but as it stands now, generally speaking, these things are are legal, and and we've seen this in other aspects too, like call centers for for phone companies, for example. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it it really starts the it, it it's not the place of origin; it's the place where it lands. That's where the laws are going to be are going to be enforced. Meaning that if you know we've had numerous, countless people on the show saying, "Hey, hey, Chris, wait a sec, I work for an American company here in Ontario. Am I subject to American employment laws?" And it's no, you're subject to Canadian employment laws, severance, so on and so forth, and overtime and all that. So I guess it's a similar type thing. They would be under the guise of Nicaraguan employment laws, I guess, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So from a general standpoint, for sure, it's not, again, necessarily where the company is located. Although I will say that there are some exceptions where individuals who, let's say, work outside of the province in which the company is located may actually uh, have to adhere to the laws in the province or area that the company is located. It's not all too common. Um, but there are, for example, in Ontario, some exceptions where, you know, somebody could perhaps start working in Ontario and then maybe finish off the job in, let's say, Alberta and, and still technically be uh, obligated to adhere to Ontario laws. So, so sometimes it gets a bit tricky. Um, and of course, uh, just another reason why to contact a lawyer if you do find yourself in a situation where you're working maybe outside of the place that your company is located in, or um, maybe you're working in several different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to the freshy example, uh, right now that is fine, and it's just going to be a matter of how the law is going to maybe address that uh, down the road. I'm just more interested to see how they came up with the name Percy for the virtual cashier. Welcome, yeah, Percy. Yeah. What's your order? <laughs> just like what is what a random name. Maybe maybe it's the president of the company. I don't know where the name came from, but uh, either way, you still got lots of time. We're just getting warmed up. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred to call in and ask your questions for Chris. What's the uh, what's the second thing you want to talk about, Bell? Yeah, the second thing uh, has to do with just my real-life practice. I like to bring in some situations that I confront uh, on a daily or on a regular basis. And today, I wanted to touch base on something that I I deal with a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people have experience in. And it has to do with a situation where your employer is coming to you and basically terminating your employment and not giving you any money on your way out and trying to justify its position for not paying you any severance based on some allegation maybe that you did something wrong or that you weren't just doing enough right. Um, And a lot of people think that they may be dead to rights, that they don't have any hope of getting severance. But in this particular scenario that I dealt with, um, the actual record of employment when this person was let go said that they were let go without cause. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge thing because obviously that would indicate the company didn't have cause and that they therefore did owe them severance. Now, the company later on said, well, no, we did this to benefit, you know, your client and, you know, she needed help getting EI benefits. So we wanted to be nice and just put on the record of employment uh, without cause. Uh, first of all, that's a huge issue as far as reporting things to the government. Um, and, you know, and secondly, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe the company when it's saying this um, because after the termination happened, my client only then became aware of all of these allegations as to why Uh. they let her go. It was very much an after the fact thing. And it really just stunk of an employer trying to frankly avoid its severance obligations and come up with some sort of a flimsy position on, you know, why they shouldn't have to pay any money. And it didn't work out for the employer. We were fortunately able to settle the case and get some reasonable common law notice as well as some extra damages just for some bad faith there. But yeah. It's sort of, again, a, a word of caution, of course, to employers before they go down this just cause path. Um, frankly, it can just be uh, worth it much more to simply let them go without cause, especially if you have nothing that would rise to the level of cause, than, than risk saving a few bucks and then find yourself down the road having to pay that and then some, uh, which, again, was the case in this woman's position. And uh, fortunately, again, we were able to get her a good outcome. 
and perjuring themselves along the way, saying, "Oh no, no, we did it just for the EI benefits." Well, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly, and 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 there's no previous warnings given. That was a right. huge thing. The consequences in terms of uh, any of this alleged misconduct, if it were to uh, continue, uh, wasn't set out. So these were just other factors uh, that kind of helped her case out. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, I've seen it on a number of occasions now where. I've reviewed a record of employment, and uh, lo and behold, it doesn't actually reflect the company's honest opinion, apparently. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge danger for them, of course. But yeah, thankfully, we got some help for this woman. Reaching out to Chris, by the way, anytime when we're not doing the, doing the show, one 821 5900 help at But we're warmed up. We hope you are as well. Getting into our first topic, anytime you want to interject with a uh, with a call, with a question about uh, either the topic or something completely unrelated having to do with your work life, do so. Topic one, everything you need to know about forced resignations. Let's get right into this. Um, real resignation, uh, what is it, and does one get severance if they resign? Confusion there. Yeah, it shouldn't be uh, as confusing, uh, although unfortunately when it comes to these resignation type cases, uh, it can get a bit messy, but it should relatively be simple. You know, you mm-hmm. have resigned. If you have, I, I would like to think it's on a voluntary basis. And if you do resign normally, you're not going to be entitled to severance. Uh, but as far as what a real resignation is, uh, really what it comes down to is the resignation from an employee has to be voluntary, first of all, yeah. uh, you know, talking about the notion of forced resignations. It's not a true resignation. So it's got to be voluntary and it's got to be ultimately your decision. Uh, it can't be something coming from the company, uh, you know, where they say you've got to resign. You've got to make a voluntary decision for whatever reason in your life, but it's got to be your decision. It's got to be unilateral and it has to be clear and unequivocal because a lot of times there's some debate over whether someone resigned or not, and it's not quite clear, and people are assuming things, drawing implications. So it's got to be clear, unequivocal, and, of course, voluntary. So, the, you know, the next, I guess, obvious question is what happens if an employee is told, told to, you know, resign or else? What should they, uh, what should they say? Yeah, so again, this is a situation where it's not then coming from the employee. The employer, in that case, is putting, Mm -hmm. of course, pressure on that individual. uh, And that's normally a termination. Uh, In those situations, it seems as though the employer has already decided that that person is not working there anymore. Um, And so if it's a forced resignation in that sense, then you're in all likelihood going to get your severance. Um, In terms of how to respond to an employer who says resign or else or you know resign or we'll give you two weeks or something mm-hmm. along those lines yeah. um, the answer generally should be no I'm not resigning because you don't want to say something in that situation and then later on the company might say oh hold up a minute you chose to be resigned and and, and of course omit the other context of maybe the choice that was presented to you um, but you just don't really even want to risk that. So you should say, no, I'm not resigning. And if the company is going to make a decision to let you go, then that'll be their prerogative. But at that point, a termination has occurred and you're going to be owed your severance. A lot of people are thinking the option is, you know, it's better to have resigned than be let go because the optics of the whole situation may uh, not necessarily be true. But we're going to discuss that after we get into a, a short break with Chris. The email is help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website free and anonymous pocket employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. Lots more employment law show is coming right up. 
Chris Justice is here, Sanfiru to Market LLP, courtesy of, and uh, here and ready to go with our topic and topics of the uh, the day. Everything you need to know about force resignations. And yeah, we mentioned that some people think, you know, when given the option or not even the option by their employer, they go, you know, it's better to have quote unquote resigned than to be let go simply for the optics of it. But uh, you got to look a little bit beyond that, right? Yeah, so so I would say generally speaking, uh, it's not better to have resigned, uh, quote unquote, than have been let go. Uh, there may be some instances where a resignation is in your better interests. Uh, for example, if you have, let's say, committed an egregious act within the workplace, maybe you committed theft or um, something where it's very clear uh, that the relationship has been sort of irreparably harmed. Right. You may want to save face and also possibly to help out with future employment prospects uh, on the face of it, say that you've resigned, um, maybe easier to explain to, to a future employer perhaps. Um, I've definitely also negotiated some deals with employers where um, as a result of the employee tendering his or her resignation, uh, some kind of a settlement is achieved. Uh, now, I wouldn't normally do that or, or do that lightly. I would definitely want to really delve into the reasons for this so-called resignation and, and what the allegations are. But that may be one scenario where it could be more beneficial. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, though, uh, for the most part, I would say it's better to be let go. Um, again, resigning is definitely going to be an issue in terms of your ability to collect EI um, and uh, obviously if, with your ability to potentially get a severance package of some sort from your employer. Um, so I think uh, unless there has been something terrible that's happened or, or very egregious that's happened, um, it, it appear to me that the better option is to be let go because then at least you open yourself up to severance. And even if your employer is going to allege that they let you go again for just cause or some allegation yeah. of seriousness like I was talking about in that earlier case of mine, that's not necessarily the be-all and end-all of it. And a lot of times those types of arguments fall apart very quickly. So for those reasons, I would say it's better generally to be let go. Um, but there are maybe some exemptions to that rule. Uh, and I think one of the, <coughs> pardon me, one of the things that people assume is that, you know, if, if they if they are let go rather than resigning that year, you know, you got this this black mark in your record and it goes into some, you know, national database and, uh, you know, you're going to be cursed forever because you've got that on your permanent record. That, that None of that is true, is it? Correct, correct. Yeah, no, there's nothing that would go on any permanent record, so to speak. There is, of course, the record of employment that would get issued uh, whenever there's been an interruption in someone's earnings. And so if they stop working there, that's typically when an ROE gets issued. Um, and then that ROE may specify the basis for why that person stopped working or stopped getting paid. But yeah. uh, you are correct, though, as far as there being this permanent or not being this permanent record, so to speak. So if someone is, you know, uh, forced to resign, say, how do they how do they go about proving that? Yeah, so first of all, put things in writing, you know, and and this yeah. kind of relates to so many different topics when it comes to employment law generally, putting things in writing, making a record of things, making a paper trail, uh that's going to be very helpful because you may feel as though you were forced to resign and that may actually occur. But later on, you may also find yourself in a bit of a battle with your employer where your employer is saying, well, the email that you sent us says I quit. And you didn't really maybe provide any context. 
you didn't in the email to your employer say that you were quitting or that you were leaving because of the yeah. actions of the company or the behavior of your manager or you know some sort of toxic work environment more generally and someone who quits their job, so to speak, due to a toxic work environment or harassment or bullying, that's going to generally be viewed a lot differently than if someone just resigns because there's a better employment opportunity out there that they choose to take on. Um, so I've definitely had it where employees or clients of mine show me these emails that they may have sent to their employer saying they quit. And they give me a long spiel on the phone about why they quit. But then when I look at that email, it's very black and white and not to say that this person has no option at that point, but it just makes it a lot harder uh, later on down the road to, to sort of argue that this person could, should get severance because normally when someone resigns due to, let's say, a toxic work environment or right. because there have been a significant change to the terms of their employment, that's going to be viewed as a constructive dismissal, which in the eyes of the law is treated like a termination and, of course, from that would flow severance. In, a, in a, either case, if you're going through this or if you know someone who this sounds familiar to, just uh, just reach out to Chris anytime, one 821 5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. I want to move on to how to preserve your workplace rights. Jonas writes in and says, hey, Chris, I was let go by my employer after 30 years of service. I don't think the severance they would offer me is enough. And they've attached a condition onto my severance package that gives them the potential to claw some of my severance back in the event that I find a new job. A, can they do this? And what can I or should I do in these circumstances? Yeah, so this is a good question because it brings up the idea that an employer has the ability to claw back someone's mm -hmm. severance. And a lot of times when I speak to people over the phone or in any which way, uh, they assume that because, for instance, they've been with a company for 30 years, that they're just simply guaranteed, let's say, two years of severance. Right. And that them finding a job later on shouldn't really have any bearing on how much their former employer owes them, uh, which isn't always the case. And in fact, uh, someone finding work in the future could affect how much severance their former employer owes them. Now, in Jonas's case, he's been there for 30 years, and, and actually this applies to any employee. If you are let go without cause and you're owed severance, regardless of if or when you find another job, there is going to be a certain bare minimum amount that will have to be paid to you no matter what. Right. Um, but once we go past this bare minimum amount and then we start to get into the potential uh, that someone could get a lot more than just that bare minimum amount, that's when them finding a job or their future could potentially impact things, especially if they haven't really uh, settled uh, the, the package or negotiated a package with their employer yet. And let's say negotiations are still ongoing. Um, so people just need to understand, I think, that there are definitely some situations where if they haven't really settled their case with their employer or they're still negotiating a package and they end up finding a job at some point during that process, uh, should the employer become aware of that, that can definitely affect things. And the law uh, is basically set up such that employers can get credit potentially for the fact that someone found a new job and made new earnings. Because if we go back to the spirit of severance and sort of what the, the whole rationale behind it is, is that it's supposed to be provided to an employee to tide them over until they're able to find their next job. And hopefully mm -hmm. something that's at least comparable to the job they had. 
so that while they're looking for that job, they're at least not out of pocket money and they can, you know, join up with a new company and not have to suffer financially for that period of time that they needed to get that job. And so because that's sort of the spirit behind severance, um, that's why a lot of times you see these packages be given to people where there are these conditions attached. Um, now, in Jonas's case, he may actually be able to negotiate uh, a lump sum payment from his employer and get his employer to drop that condition where they claw it back. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a guarantee. Uh, but Jonas should also get in touch with a lawyer just as far as what the package itself is, because even if there is a condition attached, the employer may still only be offering him six months total. Um, yeah. And for someone with 30 years, obviously, he could get as much as two years of severance. And whether it's a lump sum payment or there's a condition where something can be clawed back, the, the amount of months or the amount of weeks that's offered could still be you know, incredibly low. Again, 416-870-6400 to make that call now and ask your questions. And I'll ask one because this this is a really interesting email because I have a friend that's going through exactly this. And mm-hmm. she's around uh, she's around 58 and she's worked for a doctor for 33 years. Same thing. He's he's not in good health. He's shutting her down for sure this summer. He hasn't admitted it, but he right. he's hinting at it. They haven't re-signed the lease of the building and he keeps saying, <clears> I hope you're looking for other work. I hope you're looking for other work. I mean, he's hinting at it. So how does she approach that? Because she's 58, and and you know, according to what you said just there, she may or may not very quickly be able to get another job doing a similar thing. But she's like, at this point, she's like, I'm almost 60. I don't really want to. You know, I should get enough severance to carry me through. How does she approach that? Yeah. So when when an employer says, I hope you're looking for work. I hope you're looking for work because I'm going to be shutting down my practice. Uh, first of all it could be helpful to know if a clear end date has been given. I think mm-hmm. there's a big difference between an employer saying, you're no longer going to be working here as of January 1st. Right. And so, you know, go and try to see if you can find another job in the meantime, versus an employer saying, I'm going to be closing up shop sometime in the future. Uh, so go and try and find another job. Right. You know, I, I think in the first instance, the employer may be able to in one way or another get credit for the working notice that was given because the, there was a very clear end date as far as the last day of work whereas in the second scenario that's not the case uh, now as far as those who might be in their late 50s early 60s and they're being told to look for work and they're thinking well I kinda wanna retire or I don't really right. wanna work anymore I wanna wind, wind down I see this a lot as well and the, the fact of the matter is, regardless of whether you're 20 years of age or you're 60 years of age, generally speaking, if you're let go from your job or you're given clear notice that you're being let go at some point in the future, generally speaking, there's an obligation from the court's perspective in this province for you to go and look for another job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people who are older may not want to do that and they think that maybe there should be some special exemption applying to them, to which I respond and say, nope this applies across the board and in fact a lot of companies are going to be more mindful or going to focus more on say the job search efforts of somebody who's older maybe assuming that they're not going to really look or maybe they think that this person earlier said they wanted to retire so there could actually be a bit more of a microscope on these people but having said that also what are the odds that someone who's let's say in their 60s is able to find a job anywhere near as early as someone who may be in their mid-30s or 40s. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the idea of whether it's Jonas or the woman that you're mentioning as far as how much severance they're owed, 
the person's age is definitely going to be a relevant factor. Uh, and we generally see that the, the older the individual is, typically the more severance they'll be given because of the acknowledgement that it'll take these people longer, or at least that there might be some prejudice from prospective employers who may be looking and wondering, you know, should I hire this person if they're going to retire in two years? Well, I know there's been no firm uh, date of, you know, as of August 1st, you're, you're out of a job. I know that that hasn't been offered right. to her. Should she right. just keep quiet? Stay quiet and just let them let them carry it and see what happens in August. They say, "Oh, by the way, tomorrow's your last day." I mean, should, should she should she approach them and say, "Where's my end date?" Or just shut up? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess in some sense it could be helpful to get an end date. But if we're talking about legal entitlements mm-hmm. and the way in which she might be able to get more severance than less. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think that the employer is going to be able to take advantage of this notice that's been given if there is no clear end date in sight. And while she's you know, possibly able to look for work, uh, I wouldn't say that by her not doing so, that's going to negatively affect the case. Yeah. But certainly when it does come to a point where it's definitive and she's told, okay, this is your last day or okay, in a month from now, this is your last day. Um, you know, she may want to at least turn her mind to that. Uh, although the other thing to consider is that when a company says you're going to be gone, uh, let's say six months from now, mm-hmm. you're still working probably 40 hours a week or more for that six month period. So you're also right. not going to have a ton of time necessarily to go out and look for work uh, as though you would if you were terminated effective immediately and, and yeah. had a lot more free time on your hands. So. There's some uh, leniency given there as well for people who are sort of working and then also expected to some degree to look for work. Um, but, but I would say in that particular case you've mentioned, it's probably in her best interest to hold off, wait until some more defined date is given, gotcha. and then uh, go from there and try to assess whether what's being offered is fair and reasonable. We'll continue. Lots more Employment Law Show is coming right up. You bet. We're back. Thank you so much for hanging in. And Chris Justice is here. Sam Firu to Markin LLP. That is where you want to reach out to anytime you have questions or concerns with your job, with your employer, huge or small. Just make that phone call 1-855-821-5900. You got help at employmentlawyer.ca. But here and now, Sam, thank you so much for standing by. How are you? Good. How are you? Brilliant. Uh, thank you for taking the time. What's uh, What's on your mind? So I have actually called in before. So I'm a registered nurse, um, and I was employed for seven years and then terminated with cause for the vaccine mandate. Um, and I'm just wondering if, if you guys have any updates kind of on where that is these days. Yeah, Sam, so thanks for the question. Uh, it's definitely an ever-evolving landscape, for sure. Um, for what it's worth, I am currently representing uh, registered nurses when it comes to uh, vaccine policies, uh, non-compliance with those vaccine policies. Uh, but first question, Sam, are you unionized by chance? Yes. Okay. So I, I will say that as far as our, our firm is considered, or at least as far as I'm consi- uh, concerned, uh, we don't do that much unionized work. A lot of the work that we do is in the non-unionized sector. And when it comes to unions, of course, you've got your collective bargaining agreement, first of all, that's going to set out uh, the options that you have. So for example, if you are... Um, in some way being affected for not complying with the COVID policy. Uh, I believe that there should be generally a process in the collective bargaining agreement that would set out uh, the ability to have a file a grievance 
which I would hope that your local union rep would assist with. Um, so I usually tell people in unions to start with those two points, uh, your local union rep, and then also what's contained in the collective bargaining agreement as far as uh, the process that you would need to undergo uh, to file a grievance. Because before you can really do anything else outside of that, you have to typically follow what's in that collective bargaining agreement. And then it therefore otherwise would make it very difficult for someone like me to jump in and intervene and, and do something else. So that's what I would say there. Um, I so do happened. know, sorry, go ahead. Yep. I was going to say that's happened and it's a group grievance. And so I followed up the other day with them, the person who I guess covers or I can't remember the name, but she said it, it's out of their hands and now it's into the court, but we, but we haven't heard anything. Okay, so uh, just so I'm clear, you uh, and others have filed a grievance and it's sort of just in the midst of being processed or there's something going on and there'll be an update on your end? Yeah, like nobody's updated us, but but I've been told that it's, it's left the employer's hands and it's, it's in the court's hands now. I guess it's in the legal. I don't know if it's in arbitration, but like what right. do you think we would be updated? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. It's hard for me to really answer. Again, I would, I would touch base with your local union rep and just simply ask where along the grievance process they're at. Um, if they are coming up to a point where there's going to be some sort of arbitration that happens and ultimately a decision that gets made, then I just think getting as much information or, or clarity on that as possible is, is what you're going to want. And okay. that may be what brings finality to your situation. Um, I do know of some decisions in the unionized context where arbitrators have reviewed uh, COVID-19 policies and in some cases determined that those policies were reasonable. Um, so not to say there aren't challenges in your case, um, but you should hopefully be given some sense of what the next step is in the grievance process. And, and if there is an arbitration of some sort that's been scheduled, then, then maybe a date. But it's hard for me to know exactly when because, frankly, when it comes to union work, uh, you could be talking months, several months before you get an arbitration date. You know, if there's a lot of uh, hoops that need to be gone through before you get there. So I would just start with that and, and see what they say. Okay, perfect. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate that. And you know where to reach out anytime to Chris. Again, I'll give you the number just in case. 1-855-821-5900. 1-855-821-5900 is how you do that. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Got some, uh, got some minutes. Let's get into our next uh, topic of two for the day, and that is how to preserve your workplace rights. Massively important. Number one, don't take one for the team at your expense. A lot of people do this. Ah, I love working here. It's okay. I'll suck it up because uh, I work with a great bunch of, uh, great bunch of people. Could be a big mistake mistake yeah well as as the phrase goes no good deed goes unpunished so <laughs> that's right i mean i i just so many times in my practice i speak to people and they go through maybe a year-long history of things that they had to deal with their employer on where you know let's say their employer was changing their hours of work or maybe reducing their pay to some extent and you know they want to be a team player they want to take one for the team they want to say to their employer all right i don't really like this but you know i'm willing to you know suck it up and and just go forward on it and then some sort of a change happens based on that discussion with the employer 
Then fast forward three months later, the employer says, oh, we got to make another change. We've got to, you know, maybe shave off another 50 cents on your hourly wage or uh, we've got to, you know, cut your hours back a little bit more. And then the employee says, well, hold up a minute. I took one for the team, you know, three months earlier and now this is happening again. And then the employer is going to potentially say, well, yeah, you did take one for the team. So you agree with me that your terms can change. They're a bit looser. They're a bit more flexible, more fluid. And, and now you've taken these, uh, taken it for the team, so to speak, maybe once, mm-hmm. twice, three times. And now what are the terms of your employment? Are they uh, what was set out in your contract that you signed five years ago? Or because you took one for the team so many times, have they now just drastically changed? And then you then give the employer the argument to say, well, you know, this is just the nature of your job now. You, you, we, can, we can change things kind of thing. So... You may think you're doing something good early on, but then that can quickly snowball into something that's a lot worse, and then you're going to have to take some kind of compromise down the road, and you know that could affect things greatly as far as just the working conditions, or if you get let go, and we're talking about how much severance you should get. Yeah. So you definitely want to be mindful before, you know, quote unquote, taking one for the team, and and definitely talk with a lawyer before doing that, so that you at least know what could come down the road. Yeah, take a step back and get a bit of a uh, wider angle on it before you uh, let things happen for sure. And reach out to Chris yeah. anytime too. We got a bunch of more of these uh, talking points to uh, to cover how to preserve your workplace rights after a short break, and then we'll carry on through till uh, till the end. In the meantime, we'll continue with the Employment Law Show. And welcome back, Employment Law Show. Donna, hi Donna. Thank you for standing by. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? We're uh, we're doing well. What's uh, what's on your mind? Um, I just want to know, I recently resigned my position, and I wanted to know, I have a crude vacation pay of 69 hours, and I'm wondering if that is legally paid out, or if it's just the discretion of the employer. Uh, Donna, thank you for your question. So, regardless of whether somebody resigns or somebody is terminated, uh, there are going to be instances where, as of their last day, uh, they have accrued or accumulated uh, some vacation pay. And, you know, sometimes there's a policy that may say you're able to carry some hours over. Other times there might be vacation policy that says you lose the hours and they kind of, I guess, reset, so to speak, um, or at least your vacation time does. So I would say that even though you may have resigned, um, you should still be entitled to any accrued but unused vacation pay up to that point. Uh, now, you mentioned a very precise number of hours, Donna. Have you uh, yet reached out to your employer and sort of followed up with them on this front? No, not as of yet. Okay. Oh, well, I would definitely say that's the starting point is to sort of reach out to them, put something in writing, just sort of clarifying, you know, look, as I understand, I have this much accumulation built up. Maybe give them a, a little bit of a basis for how you came to that number. And, and send that off because, as I say, there shouldn't really be an issue there. Um, and uh, I don't know how long ago, uh, actually, how long ago was it that you say you resigned? Yesterday. Okay, yesterday. All right, so it may not necessarily be the case that your employer is, uh, say, in bad faith withholding the vacation that's owed to you. But I would say follow up with them, uh, get some clarity on that. And of course, if there are any issues as far as them denying what you think is rightfully yours based on what you've accrued, uh, give us a call, but start with that at least for the first going. Can they, can they withhold that money? 
Uh, no, generally speaking, they can't. You know, again, whatever, even though you've resigned and even though you may not be entitled to severance or payment beyond your last day of work, any wages, vacation pay, uh, any amounts, I guess, otherwise that would be owed as of your last day there um, should be paid out. Absolutely. Okay. That's what and I thought. I just wanted to make sure. No worries, Donna. And again, if you've got any issues, feel free to give me a call and I'd be happy to help out. Appreciate your time today, Donna. Awesome. Here is that number that Chris uh, just mentioned, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Just that simple. Get back to our uh, second topic of the day, pal. That is how to preserve your workplace rights. Definitely want to um, you know, be mindful of all these. Number two, you're on a medical leave, uh, lengthy or otherwise. Don't forget about your employer. Yeah, so uh, this is a good uh, good point because a lot of times I'll have clients or I'll hear from people who say that they're off on a medical leave of absence and frankly, they just don't really want to communicate with their employer. They want to focus on uh, you know, getting back to better health and sometimes they feel like maybe communications with their employer can be harassing to some extent or another. And I just always sort of caution people, you know, you don't want to go too long without communication with your employer while you're off on a leave. Because it's not to say that you need to provide them with a weekly update, this is how I'm doing, or even a monthly update necessarily. Um, But you don't want to wait too long because your employer may come at some point later on and sort of say, oh, we hadn't heard from you, we thought you abandoned your job or you quit or, you know, you're no longer interested in coming back and then and that may have no merit whatsoever to it mm-hmm. but the the fact that there was an absence of communication uh could complicate things uh there have definitely been cases in the past where uh there's been no uh, communication for a very very long time and that has ended up posing issues for the employee so you just generally want to keep your employer up to date at least as far as whether there's any changes on your end say from a medical perspective or not and also to you know try to assist in potential return to work plan. Um, so just be just be mindful of going too long without any communication. That's all. Again, reaching out to Chris one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is how you do that. Uh, don't file a complaint with the labor board if you lose your job. This was basically the genesis of this show eleven years ago. <laughs> is people kept doing this, and that's a huge severance mistake. Yeah, and I know we sound like a broken record, I'm sure, when we say this, and it, but it is very critical. Uh, I have no idea how many actual people go to the labor board after they've been let go and they're seeking termination pay, um, you know, thinking that's the place to go to, and then they file a complaint of some sort with the labor board. The labor board, let's say, gets them those bare minimum entitlements that I was referencing earlier on in the show. And then they think, okay, great. I've got, I've got what they owe me under the Employment Standards Act or what they owe me under the legislation. I'm good. And then they just have no idea that, again, that's just really the tip of the iceberg. You know, someone could be entitled, on the one hand, to eight weeks of notice under the legislation, but under common law, which is something the Labor Board cannot help you with, mm-hmm. get as much as two years. And so you may think you're doing right and and doing what you need to do, but end up just getting, like I say, a very, very minuscule amount of what you could potentially get. And then the problem becomes once you file that complaint and go through that process with the labor board, you can't go back after the fact and say, oh, I want my common law. I want want that, you know, upwards of two years paid to me. 
Well, no, it's going to be too late at that point. So just, you know, as hopefully as many people hear this as possible, do not just outright jump to the labor board and think that's the step that needs to be taken. You need to contact a lawyer and you need to make sure you preserve those common law rights, which are going to be a lot more significant than just what the labor board can help you out with. Let's uh, finish off with one email. This would be from Shireen says, Hey, Chris, I'm an employer and I have an employee who's constantly underperforming. Can I fire them for cause and avoid paying them severance? Yeah, so this this goes back again to that real-life example that I spoke about at the top of the show as far as employers alleging that there's just cause for termination. And again, normally it's very, very difficult for employers to meet this uh, threshold. Uh, It is possible for an employer to fire somebody for just cause due to performance-related issues. But in this particular context... Uh, there needs to be a progressive disciplinary structure put in place. You can't just simply say, oh, I haven't liked the way that you performed over the last year, and I'm going to fire you for cause. There generally needs to be a warning system, whether it's a verbal warning, a written warning, uh, maybe even escalating to a suspension with pay. Um, There needs to be that time frame where... You, you give those warnings, you give the consequences of what could happen if they don't adhere to, to the mm-hmm. criticisms, assuming they're valid, and yep. then maybe after several months you could justify cause termination, but you don't want to jump to that right away. And again, for employers, this is a situation where you want to get in touch with a lawyer and make sure you paper your trail, dot your I's, cross your T's. And that's the way we'll leave it for today. Appreciate you reaching out and calling in. The emails are help at employmentlawyer.ca to reach Chris on the phone anytime, 1-855-821-5900 and the option of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you again next time on the Employment Law Show.